Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Nintendo!
Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat for the week of July 11th, 2014, and this is our 222nd episode. Wow. And I wow. am sorry that we are not better at this. I am your host, Isaiah Otero, bumbling through this program with me, Fer well, Schneider. Welcome. And Brian Altano. Brrah! Sorry, guys. I have high standards. I'm great at this. What are you talking about better at this? I think you're doing fine. All right. Whatever. We'll see. Uh, But (laughs) before uh, we begin, I just want to quickly say to our listeners, thanks very much for the feedback regarding last week's Star Fox episode. Uh, We successfully traveled to the year 20XX and back, and you got to listen and enjoy it with us. Uh, So thank you. Really glad you could be a part of it. Really quickly for you guys. Yeah. Any just closing final thoughts on the, that episode or no, just Star just Fox love in general? Brian's face when he's trying to think of a Star Fox quote that he hasn't used yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have, there's, only, on. there's only so many. There's only so many that could fit on, on the cartridge back then. Uh, it's true. No, final thoughts. I mean, we actually played some more Star Fox Assault. That's right. right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, still not a huge fan. I think yeah, the, the flying missions are fun and I love what they were trying to do, like the in and out of the Landmaster mm-hmm. and then, then jumping into a ship and defending the yeah. skies. I thought all of that was cool and some of it actually looks and feels like classic Star Fox, but every time you're running around as Fox on the ground, yeah. I they're, feel yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. They're going for scale, right? They're yeah. going for, hey, look how cool this is, or you can jump in a vehicle and then jump out, and it's still the same scale. There's no loading, any of that, yeah. but it just mm-hmm. it falls flat a little bit. It's not quite as dynamic, and then the on-rail stuff is is very Star Wars, but at the same mm-hmm. time, not as intense as 64, where at 64, you really felt like you were in that shmup uh, from the behind-the-camera perspective. It really lived up to what the first Star yep. Fox kind of set in place, and for Assault, it didn't really feel that way. You know what's ironic? It's like the, the first Star Fox was so choppy, right? Like the frame rate and everything, <laughs> but they smartly put you right on the ground, and they put lots of um, like uh, uh, gates and things to yeah. fly through. water, right? right? You flew so right over it. It actually feels way faster than mm-hmm. Star Fox Assault, at least some of the missions, you know, where you're flying at an angle, approaching a fleet, and they're moving away from you. It's like you don't get the sense of speed. You're uh, out yeah. in the environment, right? Like it gets better as you do like the Landmaster stuff. Yeah. But like Star Fox and Star Fox 64 have these exciting moments of just like speeding through an armada. And, For like, sure, yeah. And yeah. I, I think I credit this. And I talked to you about this a little bit. I'm sorry, we're still talking about Star Fox, yeah. but um, listeners at home. But uh, I think that all came from. I think Namco was the right choice for maybe a dog fighting game, but they weren't the right choice for an on rail style game. I feel yeah. like the Ace combat team knew how to make these awesome like zones where you can get into these big dogfights and and try to fight big bosses they didn't even feel like Star Fox bosses to me they just felt like they were trying to be but it was sort of forced like the big monkey gorilla thing we fought yesterday (laughs) was just so weird we played Star Fox Adventures too which by the way why? um, well, okay. So wait, wait, really quick. Research. It's research. For science. And, uh, we did the episode already. You don't yeah. have to do research well, we did, anymore. But you can still do post, post-research. post uh-huh. don't, yeah. don't, don't crap on my dreams, Brian Altano. Um, <laughs> Star you, uh, Fox Adventures <laughs> did that already. <laughs> crap. Um, no, but it opens with what is a boss fight, and then it just turns into Zelda out of nowhere. And then it's like, everything you pick up. And I agree with a lot of things you said last week about it. I haven't played in years. I played it briefly and then was like, I don't care about this. Still bad. It's still bad. Yeah. It's, a lot of people came out to defend it. It's not bad. Yeah. It is It is like just kind of boring. And all Hold on. No, yeah. anecdotally, it's, some people came out to defend it. Some people tweeted at me, and uh, uh, one particular person was like, was it really bad? For three months, it was the only GameCube game I had, uh-huh. so I played it six times in a row. That doesn't mean a game's good. Uh, yeah. That just means it's, it's all you have, which is okay. IGN? It did. A, I, I don't <laughs> it think it It may have that score. We, that, <laughs> a lot of people bought that game because of that. <laughs> hey, we don't always get it right here. Right. I, IGN. I, I well, it's also you know when it came out, it yep. probably felt different. There are a lot mm-hmm. of things about that game that are pretty impressive. Like yeah. the character shadows look great. I mean, yeah. they look better than anything that followed on some of the I other. I thought consoles. the uh, the trade in like, value 
you was very impressive. No, there are good moments in there, but it does have some real issues. It, it does, yeah. yeah. All right, okay. It's not as good as a Zelda I, just, I game, also want to point out, while we're on Star Fox, Star Fox, I told you guys about the on, unlockable on-foot mode right. in Star, right. Star, Star Fox 64. <laughs> everybody in this room looked at me like I'm crazy. Oh, don't trust him. He's a liar. Yeah. And then everybody found that the, the videos for it, and it's right. And uh, it's, it's, the hard, it's one of the hardest things in gaming history to unlock. Don't, Very don't, few people don't, have don't done it. Don't get mad because your reputation has painted you in this light. Hey, yeah. come on. <laughs> come on. I'm kidding. Uh, all right. Thank you very much. Anyway, Super Mario RPG 3 coming out this fall. If you missed right. it, you can... Oh, God. Don't do that. Uh, you can listen to the episode. Just go to iTunes, IGN, or your favorite podcast download service. You can listen to it. Tell us what you think. And if you didn't like it, sorry. Hopefully, we'll do better next time. So let's talk about news. EVO is this weekend. So That's EVO cool. stands for the Evolution Championship. Mm-hmm. And you can watch it on IGN. How cool is that? Go to www.ign.com slash events slash EVO. Um, and you can see the whole thing, right? Like, what's our deal? Talk about it. You, yeah, you, know yeah you can watch. So we'll have the main stage live streaming on IGN whenever it's on. And then we'll have uh, VOD coverage too. So like videos breaking out, broken out after the fact. So if you mm-hmm. miss something, you can rewatch it. If you're not into esports and you're just looking at this going like, ah, it's a bunch of people playing, take a moment and just watch something. Because yeah. you, you know, just watching some of the Smash Brothers fights. <sighs> um it, it's pretty amazing. Like, yeah. you can learn a lot from the techniques of other players. And yeah. especially when you're watching it where you can rewind it and watch things mm-hmm. again, it's actually really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think of it sort of as, like, you know, there's, like, the, you know, the World Cup and the Super Bowl and stuff like that. Things that I'm not really into... But when Crazy. you when but yeah, there's I know, but when when you get together for these things, and you know my family's European, so pa- Paris yeah. still celebrating the Germany beat Brazil. I know. Beat I don't Brazil. think you can right. say beat Brazil. There okay. was that. That's a soft word. Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. that was rough. Yeah. It's a whooping. I'm sorry. Um, but it is cool to see the sort of like fervor that goes around this kind of stuff, and to see people get together for these things. When I my, my first week working at IGN, I went to a like a, a Street Fighter tournament that was held here in Fort Mesa, and it was just awesome mm-hmm. to watch that energy and watch people it was like being in a boxing match but people are watching two characters fight on screen I really love that so yeah do what Paris said and do what Jose said you know check out a few matches and see what sticks I think even if it's a game you don't really understand something like Smash Brothers is very accessible it's people beating each other up anyone can understand that so yeah, yeah. check it out oh it's definitely like hyperactive hyperactive sumo is what I would call it but, uh, <laughs> you should totally check it out I was actually going to ask you guys if you watch any uh, professional sports or esports play rather like video game wise because I know I'm the big like speedrunner slash you know tournament speed, guy. So speedrunning, yes, I'm I'm incredibly fascinated with that, especially with the games I grew up on. You know, um, watching people sequence break those things is amazing to me. But that's not it's it's a little bit different than watching like the but big that's tournament play style. right there. Mm. Yes, like, that's yes. really fun to watch yeah. because of it. It's expert play. What yeah, about yeah. I watched a bunch of too? I watched a bunch of StarCraft. Um, you know, when when two came out, um, I, I've always loved that franchise, and I just love seeing how fast some players can play and how reactive they can be. It's it's really entertaining, yeah. even if you don't understand the game. Um, I haven't gotten into like actually following the leagues and, and the star players to that point, but but it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah, what kicked it off for me was last year's Evo and seeing Melee return to the big stage there. That was the first time yeah. I'd been there for a really long time. Uh, I think it was something like seven years, something like that. I don't remember the exact date uh, of how long it had been before Melee had been invited to Evo. Maybe not ever. I'm forgetting this, so I should mm-hmm. know this. But anyway... That aside, it was really fun to watch. Uh, I'll never forget the first round of Armada versus uh, Mewtwo King, which was a really, really good fight that just totally fell apart after the second round, but whatever. And my friends uh, on 
on uh, like Xbox One when they catch me on, they'll message me and be like, "Yo, why are you watching Twitch so much?" It's like, why, you know, and I'm just like, "Dude, this is like sports to me. Like, this is what Did I want." You say, "Yo, what are you? What the hell this are you is, doing with your Xbox One?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to open that wound. So anyway, check Titanfall. it out. Yeah, make sure you go uh, watch Evo this weekend if you're even lukewarm interested. We'll also have some follow up content on Monday on the site, so make sure you check that out. All right, so for our next story. So this one I kind of want to talk about, but I, I want to be very careful how we approach this because yeah. I feel like anything that comes from a translation, right, we have to kind of look at it a little carefully because there is a language barrier here. There's yep. a cultural barrier here to talk about. But uh, there were some comments made by Miyamoto regarding The Legend of Zelda Wii U and what he basically – our headline was Miyamoto doesn't like to call Zelda Wii U open world. Mm-hmm. And this was in response to a shareholder question at a meeting, which was very recently uh, where Satoru Iwata got reelected and there were approval ratings all around for mm-hmm. most of the board. Uh, the question was, when will you announce more? Oh, by the way, this was the same meeting where someone made a complete fool of himself <laughs> by talking about, uh-huh. I don't like video games. Did you hear about that? No. Uh, one event and one investor said. <laughs> What's he uh, doing there? No, it's like, he, he has a point, too. Like, everybody jumped on the wait guy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But the way he made the point, first of all, it's translated from Japanese. So probably right. the so way it sounds in Japanese is not that bad. Fair enough. But he said, how come we're all talking about the future of video games and games and all that kind of stuff? I don't understand video games. Why are we not talking about the business of Nintendo? And then, so the point is actually really smart. But oh, the way okay. he said it, it sounded like, why is Nintendo talking about video games? Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, no, all right. I kind of see his point. Translation things aside, but still, yeah. if you, if you choose really to funny. buy <laughs> stock or attend a shareholders meeting for a video game company, I think there are reasonable expectations for what you're getting there. And that's a very weird statement to make. No, he, does he go to Toyota and he's like, what's up with all these cars? Yeah, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. I don't think that's really what he said. And I, I, you got to remember, it's not like everyone, anyone from the off, off the street can attend these meetings and ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's probably a big shareholder. Mm-hmm. It's somebody who owns Baller a good status, chunk yeah. of Nintendo, and he's frustrated that we're talking about, like, gameplay concepts. There was one question from a guy going, like, hey, can shareholders have perks like free stickers and stuff? It's like, come on, right? Like, if I was uh, if I was in attendance, I'd be like, "Can we talk about you know what what you're going to do next with the company, please?" Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, to say no, don't sure. talk about video games is equally crazy. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But anyway, so the, the other thing was were, this. yeah. So yeah. he basically uh, was asked the question: When will you announce more information about the new Legend of Zelda game for Wii U? Will it be before E3 next year? And then you know he kind of walked through. Nah, you know, we're not going to talk about this at these meetings. This is not what these meetings are about. However. He introduced that, you know, yes, the next Legend of Zelda for Wii U is an open world. And then he kind of went into this with his statement. I prefer not to generally use the term open world when developing software. But we use this term at E3 in order to make it easier for our consumers to understand. This term means that this is a large world in which players can do numerous things daily. Basically explaining what the concept means. But then he also goes on to say how the new world is vast. Maybe he doesn't want to call it open world, but whatever. In the tradition of the Legend of Zelda series, the player would play one dungeon at a time. For example, if there are eight dungeons and the fourth dungeon at the fourth dungeon... So some players may think, I'm already halfway through the game, while others may think, I still have half of the game to play. We're trying to gradually break down such mechanisms and develop a game in which you can enjoy The Legend of Zelda freely in a vast world wherever, whenever you find the time to do so. So I thought we should talk a little bit about yep. what we think Zelda Wii U will sort of, what, what does that mean, sort of the open world or the vast uh, world sure. concept? And I think Zelda is particularly trying really hard to shake that. I think what he was, the point he was trying to make is it's not a sandbox game. 
Like that's yes. exactly yes. what I think he was getting at. He's like, when we say open world, it means that it's a it's a big open world and you can do things out of sequence. And they've been building towards that with, you know, with the last game on 3DS, for example, Link Between Worlds. I think that's the point he was trying to make. And I think sometimes developers get scared that they overpromise, right? Like look at Peter Molyneux, where he's like, in you know, in my next game, trees will grow as you watch them. The yeah. entire world is gonna change. And then in the end it's just a bunch of people farting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's and, exactly. Uh, exactly. Against Fable fans, but that, that British people. that's the takeaway I had, and and so I think he, I think sometimes designers get scared, and everybody's like, oh my god, the next game is going to be open world, and Miyamoto sitting there going like, uh, well, not like Skyrim, you yeah, know? yeah, not, so, not so, like, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, maybe we should explain this to folks. So when we when you say not sandbox, we are specifically talking about sort of an open vast world where. Mm-hmm the progression pass is set through specific missions only, right? Like you play GTA and you can jump in any car, you can find side activities to do, you can, you know, go to a strip club, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Sorry, this is a family show. However, um, the progression path is still sort of that linear structure of, okay, go from this mission to this mission to this mission. Are you therefore saying that this next game, when it's not sandboxy, is trying to break that? Because I think that's what they're going for, but I'm not sure I think that's I what I heard. It. I yeah. heard that we're trying to move away from the convention of having a linear progression path in story where it's like, by the time he gets to the fire temple, he's already strong and he does this and this. I think they're, they're just trying to give you more freedom as to where you go first. And, I mean, let's face it, Face it, the open world, like Link to the Past was an open world. Once you were yeah. able to pick up things, you can go anywhere in the environment, but it was flat. Um, and a lot of Zelda games do things that you can do in, in Grand Theft Auto, where you do a little side quests, right? Yeah, like, I, you don't have yeah. to do them. Um, I, I think I think they're breaking that up. I think it'll mm-hmm. be there'll be a set storyline, but it will not matter what MacGuffin you get at what point in the quest. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I think that uh, for years now, it's been sort of the, you know, Link wakes up in his house, then he has a conversation with somebody, he has to collect three things, mm-hmm. and then from there, some crazy stuff goes down they open something and he's got to collect what seven things right and then another thing and then the game is over and I think that's what they're sort of moving away from and I think even within the confines of that three things to seven things or whatever it was um, you there was room for exploration like I just started Ocarina of Time over uh, on the weekend uh, because I was flying across the country and I had my 3DS and I was like hey let me let me check this out and just kind of go back to playing Zelda I've been very hyped on Zelda since E3 obviously um and that game is very open, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, there's a lot of points where they sort of shoot you down these narrow paths, but it does open you up in a Hyrule field and it's kind of says, hey, listen. It's gr- yeah, it's gradual. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, see, and what, see what you can find. And, and careful and, and deliberate. And yeah. And I, I think the, what they played with in The Link Between Worlds, seeing that go full 3D excites me more than my, tricking my brain into thinking they're going to make GTA or Skyrim. Yeah. I think that like the more people get into their heads that they are not making Skyrim with an el- with with a green elf. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are making a Zelda with a little more freedom. That's that's the the more realistic and accessible I think the game will be once it's finally yeah. out. Yeah. I think they, with, with risk, the, like set though. the expectations. There's also yeah. risk though, right? Yeah. I like pl- going back to Ocarina of Time. I loved going to uh, like a, a location where there's a dungeon and going like oh, I can't get in how can I get in and then going like later in the quest I'm like I've got the hook shot I remember there was a target above that thing so I can go there I like that progression too yes it does it does feel like we've done this so many times now but I'm worried now that the items will be less meaningful because well, they will no longer t- open up something cool so they yeah. gotta nail the side quests yeah. like yeah. the side quests gotta be amazing so that they feel meaningful and the hook shot the bow and arrow all these things have a purpose yeah I want to jump 
problem with that because when you said sort of like not having the MacGuffin and what that possibly means, right? When you look at A Link Between Worlds, they sort of tried to dial that back by making the item shop, but the item shop became sort of the one-stop place where you have to get everything basically mm-hmm. and rent it and buy it and that sort of loosened the design. But I think the pitfall and in a lot of ways, the thing that maybe restrains it is, in fact, the toolbox. Because when you get to some of these dungeons, they were very one-item dungeons. Yeah. Right? They yeah. were very much driven by the idea that there is, a, a, at least at first, there was an emblem on the front door that said, okay, you need that thing to get through here yeah. and figure out what we want from you in this game. So I think that ultimately that's the struggle, right? Like how do you give the player all these tools but still give them the discovery but then still make the tools – meaningful and not mm-hmm. stuff that fall into the linear progression. Yeah. Because yeah. that was something that happened to A Link Between Worlds. And I'm not saying it was necessarily bad. It was still a great Zelda for a lot of us. We enjoyed it. <laughs> and that's where a game like Skyrim is very different, right? Like, or Red Dead Redemption or any any of these games. There are certain areas that will that will open up because of the story, right? Like you've been to the same place 15 times, you get to a certain point in the story, and now you have to meet that one guy in that same spot and it triggers something, right? Like they could adapt that design for sure for a Zelda game as well, but the question is like, will the, Id- will the items feel special? Yeah, it's, a, it's a really tough balance. And you know, it's, a, it's a really good point that going into a dungeon uh, in the past always meant that there were, you had, you had everything with you that you had up until that point, mm-hmm. which meant that if you had six items, all six of those items were going to be put into play in some in some way. And I remember uh, Link's Awakening in the first dungeon in that game, which is very, very early on in the game. Uh, you walk into an area and there's a, on the left there's a, a wall you can bomb. Mm-hmm. And behind it's some rupees. But I would say 99% of people do not have the bombs in that, in, mm-hmm. in, at that point. So uh, I remember as a kid playing it and then coming back and bombing that wall and getting some rupees and it, it was a small incentive but I think working on that and building on that could be pretty cool mm-hmm. to say there's reasons now for the first time ever to maybe go back to dungeons oh, and yeah. this is just me speculating right? No, no, so, for sure. So now yeah. what could change though? Like imagine, I, first of all, I don't think they will not have a MacGuffin where they say collect three things. Yeah. They are going to have that. That's, that's, it feels just like it's key to the story. rinse but, and repeat. But I think it's going to be like find the seven sages and yeah. what if each sage gives you a special power that doesn't work as a tool but actually as an attack power. Sure. Like, what if one is the flaming sword so it makes it much easier to kill ice enemies or something, right? Sure. Like, that kind of stuff I could see them playing with and making much more non-linear in it. In a and I think, I think with 3D, it, it, it really helps a lot, too, because, say, for example, you enter a dungeon and it's the boomerang dungeon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as Jose noted in the other game, there's... Monkey slapping his butt. Yeah, there's a sign know, outside that says boomerangs time. only, and you go in there and there's, you know, you, you, you use your boomerang. Mm-hmm. So what if in that same dungeon along the ceiling there's an entirely new hookshot path, right, mm-hmm. that lets you traverse that dungeon differently had you accrued that item earlier through uh, a different a different play? So had you had beaten the third dungeon or whatever, because there's no numbers, uh, and gone into the boomerang dungeon, you can mm-hmm. travel along the ceiling. See, so, I like that. So yeah. multiple tools for multiple purposes, yeah. designing the game around that, but you don't want – I, I think the, the – sorry, I'll let you finish. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's that. pretty much kind of my um, dream. Is to, so, so you and I can both play that dungeon. You can be like, I played the boomerang dungeon i'm like what'd you think of it and you're like it was awesome for me i was yeah. did you go through the hookshot path on the top and i was like no i didn't even have the hookshot yet you that know? would be amazing that's like scribble knots right yeah. where like you're solving a puzzle and you're like helicopter and then it goes okay now you can't use helicopter yeah. and you're like yeah. oh rope and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's like, yeah. and now you can't use those two things well, like yeah. i love that kind of progression where everybody has a slightly different experience and you got to think of different things yeah what if when you replay the game you might get an item in a different order and so then you would be replaying the dungeon in a completely different way yeah and 
it, yeah, I think, really I cool. think it would really inspire replays and, and, yeah. and stuff like that too. Hard so I feel like game some design. Of, well, I feel like some of our most meaningful conversations too are the ones that we really walk away from like feeling satisfied is when we all come at a problem in a different way. Yeah. Mm. Like when we have a conversation about like the Wolf Among Us or the Walking or Telltale's Dead Walking game, Dead yeah. or, or games where there are sort of different options built in and you end up in a different place. That's really cool when that happens. And I don't know if that necessarily happens that many times with GTA. Maybe it happens a little bit with Watch Dogs. Maybe there are other games that kind of experiment with the, the sure. process. But what I feel is that um, it's so much fun to like problem solve differently. Oh, and look I love at how that. We all did it in a different. One, way. one of my one of my favorite uh, like weeks at IGN was when a bunch of us were all playing Heavy Rain and we all came in and said, "What did mm. you do in this scene? Oh, what did yeah. you do in this scene?" Yeah. And whether or not you like that game or not, you know, it was a really cool. Uh, you know, some people let if there's a, a scene in the game where if you you fight somebody and he gets away, he comes back later. But if you mm-hmm. kick his ass on the spot, then like that's the end of his story. Mm-hmm. So, and I saw some of that with um, Link Between Worlds where I would come in and say, here's my story. I got into the world. I went to the hardest level first, and I died. That's right. And I was talking to Jose, and Jose was like, oh, I went over here and kind of like got a feel for it. He's like, why did you go to that level? And I'm like, it looked cool. And he's like, it was surrounded by fire. <laughs> like, you knew it was going to be hard. The warning you, signs were exactly. clearly there. They're all there. Yeah, you walked in. and yep, Yeah, yep. and I, this is an interesting problem that I have, too. And I know that for maybe someone listening, maybe it's blasphemy to compare like the way sort of experiences play out in these narrative-based games mm-hmm. versus something with an open design or dungeon design like Zelda. But this is an interesting problem for Aonuma to have because dungeons are so critical to Zelda. You can't think about even when we, we've we gone back and forth on Skyward Sword, the one thing we still kind of come back to is, man, the dungeons were great. Oh, yeah. Twilight Princess, man, the dungeons were good. Go back to A Link Between Worlds, man, those dungeons were good. Like regardless of what happens, yeah. we always seem to really enjoy that the most. It's such an important part of those games. Um, it's a really tough problem to solve. Yeah, it is very difficult game design to make something that adapt, that gives players different experiences. And that's, and you know, you risk disappointing a player too. Like, what if the game, what if Brian gets a boomerang in hour one and I get the sword in hour one and not the boomerang till like level, like hour 10? I might be really disappointed if I'm a fan of kind of more ranged combat yeah, and stuff, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're going to go that way. Nintendo is always really respectful of wanting to make sure people have a good time, mm-hmm. right? Like, get them right in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of Star Fox Adventures, that game was not respectful. It makes you do a bunch of bull. Yeah. You and Twilight, an egg. Twilight Princess did that too yeah. a little bit, yeah. to be fair. But, like, yeah. yeah, you picked up an egg, and it's an egg. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I think the way they'll do it is there'll be sort of narrative guide points that mm-hmm. ensure that all three of us are getting the sword around the same time. Or that mm-hmm. there's, not like that you're locked behind content or that you can't explore certain things, but like, they, I mean, they do have a great system in place, which is the tap you on the shoulder, which is the fairy or Navi or whoever it is. It's just like, hey, you need a sword, man. Like, what are you doing out here? Yeah. Come on, go back and get it. And then you can go check out the world. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So there are still um, sort of implications to some of these ideas with how that would affect story. And when you look at something as story-driven as Skyward Sword, you wouldn't have those cool cutscenes, maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe it definitely alters the way that works we should probably table that for another discussion uh um in a future date because we could talk about this for the rest of the podcast Years. and i think people yeah. would like it but i think we should move on so if you're angry i'm sorry uh so next quick story for you uh let's see according to our readers nintendo won e3 we had a versus series of videos go up talking about who won e3 2014 talking about the presentations the conferences etc and you 
you people who listen to this podcast hopefully uh, decided that that's a thing. So you should check out that video on the site. Just see the yeah. results. Yeah. The versus videos are interesting. What we do is we make people watch a video to vote. And like the reason why we do that is because we, we want it to be a real decision. Not somebody coming in going like, I didn't watch Microsoft's and Sony's coverage. I'm just going to vote for Nintendo. It's like, nope, we're going to give you a summary of each one. And so at right. least you're exposed to it. Of course, you know, most people are going to vote for whatever they want to want to vote for. But I think it's actually a really cool idea to showcase the stuff and make sure that a vote is meaningful and kind of limit the number of um, things people sure. can submit. And that's great to see that Nintendo came really out surprised. on top on that. And I was really surprised. We have a huge PlayStation fan base on IGN, so it's it's great that, you know, the, the Nintendo was recognized for having good stuff. Yeah, I was, I was actually really amazed because, you know, without getting into the statistics or anything like that, mm-hmm. but, you know, sometimes it really does feel like uh, the audience for some of the other next-gen consoles are, are far bigger on, on, on IGN, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I know there was a couple years there where uh, Jose and I always, always talk about this. There was like a year or two there where the Wii U was just like, you didn't care. Like, it got kicked. It got beat up on. The Wii? And, yeah. Not no, the, the, Wii oh, the Wii U. The Wii U. The Wii U. Okay. And Jose and I remember, I remember we were kind of sitting back going, you know, these new consoles are going to come out, and I don't know if they're going to have the greatest first years. Like, yeah. this is just the kind of way it is. I mean, if you think about what the... PlayStation 4 launched with first party wise, you know, it wasn't really a lot of stuff. No, all the third party stuff was what Yeah, the you third came party for, stuff yeah, was yeah. what you came for. Mm-hmm. So, it's you give it some time, things sort of come into their own. Everybody was talking smack on the 3DS when it first came out yeah. and the DS and mm-hmm. this is just we're in this part of the cycle now where Nintendo is confident. They know what they're doing. They had a great show at E3. I think a lot of us were skeptical about that going in. I was very worried personally. And things turned around. And I don't think it's just because, you know, Nintendo, IG and Nintendo audience are a bunch of fanboys. Like, it's not. Like, people saw that. They respected it. I think PlayStation fans saw it. PC gamers, mm-hmm. Xbox guys mm-hmm. all saw the way E3 came together. And Nintendo did some really cool stuff. Yeah, well, and it comes back to software, right? I mean, it comes back to, at this point, at least for Wii U, there's... Definitely a lot more to talk about than maybe a year ago, where yeah. you know, sort of the 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 pool the the pool that is the Wii U genres and, and what is on Nintendo's platform was a little smaller. Yeah. So I think that played a big part in it too, right? Just hitting at the right time with the right games and having some cool victories there. So we'll see. Let's go. Continues. Yeah. yeah it's having everybody. Fun. Everybody was fresh off of Mario Kart too, which is yeah. kind of put people in a good. I'm point. still playing that. It's yeah. so much fun. Yeah. It is. yeah. It's really don't uh, don't forget, Jose's got a standing tournament on Sundays. Yeah. I keep Are you going to tweet out the code again? Sure. I will. Okay. I'll put it in the uh, description for the show. Yeah. Um, and like so sure it's check Sunday out. afternoons. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, our time here in San Francisco. And I hop on usually every weekend, play a little bit, and bump yeah. into people who say welcome a lot. Yeah. So that's funny. All right. So uh, Shovel Knight has cheat codes that are really hilarious. Did you guys hear about this? There yes. is a butt mode. There are crazy things to do with moon physics, super jump, super fast movement, on ladders or not on ladders. So many hmm. crazy things. Uh, check out IGN's wiki on Shovel Knight, and you can find a list of them all. Have you guys tried any of them? Uh, I haven't tried any of them, but I read the wiki, and it's insane how many cheat codes they are. Like That's when cool. I heard that there are some cheat codes, it's it's not like a handful. There's dozens and dozens and dozens, and it's like, you know, super hard mode, giant sprite mode, really cool yeah. stuff. So it's really a fun. <clears throat> it's such a great throwback. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. it really feels like an NES game with slightly better graphics than an NES mm-hmm. game. It won our game of the month yeah. here and at IGN. And it's like you will play this game, you'll go like, oh my god, that's like Zelda 2. 
And, yeah. you know, that's like Mega Man. It's it's just a really good game. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, other news. Uh, Nintendo is going to host the Smash Brothers tournament at San Diego Comic-Con. So this is going to happen July 25th at the Nintendo Gaming Lounge starting at noon, and folks can play the 3DS version. More cool. specifically, I didn't say at the beginning. I feel this is the version that tournaments aren't really made for, but whatever. Folks get to go play Smash Brothers. Well, this and at the, the end of the this day, is the proving grounds for that version, right? This is how uh, athletes train when they're on the go, man. Yeah, exactly. I don't know about all that, uh, but we'll see. Regardless, <laughs> this is this is good. This is, I guess, a good thing. So, uh, if if you are going to San Diego Comic Con, look forward to that. Play, maybe you'll win. Will they? Ha- will we have them on the live show? Do we know yet? Uh, Nintendo is doing something with us, and we mm-hmm. will have a live show in case we haven't announced that already. Um, so, just stay tuned. Yeah, we will. We will have you know, just like during E3, we'll do Comic Con streaming. It's usually a whole bunch of people from the entertainment side who show up. So like the cast from Guardians of the Galaxy, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mike Tyson is going to be on the show. What? Really? Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Shh. Um, and <laughs> I just um, I just found out one of the guests that I'm going to be on the show with, and I don't know if I can announce it yet. But that's yeah. You going to Comic Con? Yeah. San Diego Comic Con. Yes. Wow. Yes. My voice yeah, cracked. Yeah, there's some good that. people. And uh, we'll also get some folks from the gaming side. You know, there's okay. a there's a big game yeah. designer who's coming on as well. So yeah. okay. definitely cool. tune in during Comic Con if you're not going to the show. All right, uh, Pokemon trading card game is coming to the 3DS. E- well, it's out now in the 3DS eShop in Europe. A virtual console game, the Game Boy Color original. This had like 200 cards. Uh, was released yeah July 10th. It sells for roughly five pounds or whatever that is. Uh, in American dollars. However, That's it is only weight. for Europe. It is not for what? Uh, Japan, and it has not been announced yet for North America. <clears throat> Maybe. It's weird, because the trading card video game, I always thought was one of, was one of Pokemon's like mm-hmm. biggest dropped balls in history. Like, don't get me wrong. People buy the physical cards, and Wizards of the Coast produces yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Folks are really into that. But I feel like a, a portable version, like a digital version, especially now in a day where you can update a deck by just buying it on a on a handheld, like uh-huh. how does how does the Poke, Pokemon iPhone. trading card video game not exist in it's a digital a weird, format? It's re- a really weird oversight. Does it compete totally too much with Pokemon? With is that is that it? I no. mean, it's not even a story. It's hey, just, we're get, we're getting Nintendo figures for the first time this like, year. Maybe like they're coming around to a lot of this. Stuff. It is really strange. Just think of the fact that you can use a camera to scan <laughs> in a card really easily nowadays, yeah. right? Like just or a QR that, code. That like having a QR code battle where you have to quickly scan the cards that you want to use against your friends and all that. There's just so many great ideas you could be yeah. using. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course, piracy always rears its head and people worry, oh, well, wait, QR codes, what if that means yeah. people are duplicating cards? Hey, some sure. people are duplicating them anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't have, we don't have the answers to these things, but hopefully this is going to make its way to North America so, and, and so Japan. So, Per and Jose, yeah. clear something up for me. For you guys, both of you, you're familiar with okay, this game Brian. back in the day. Thanks. Oh. Um, that this, game where all your Pokemon died? Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> the, the, so... Uh, what are this is obviously used to be a game where you connected multiple Game Boy colors together to trade and stuff like that, right? Mm, so yes. what are they doing with the 3DS version? Are, are they finally adding some like sort of online connectivity between or even local connectivity? Well, that's For already virtual happening. console. The Pokemon is that something they've been doing already? Yeah. Wait, wait, really? wait, back up. Hang oh. on. But do you do you mean the current Pokemon games or do you mean the Pokemon trading vir- card? Oh, yeah. the trading card game virtual console oh, style. Yeah. No, um, it will it. To me, it sounds like it's standalone. I don't think they're doing anything in terms of... Well, if you think about it, it's all driven by like link cables and really old sort of algorithms and technology that's that kind they of outdated. Can't, they can't work around I don't now. know if they can, but it would cost money that maybe they're not willing to spend. That's uh, yeah. kind of the problem, See, this is right? what's kind of like... I mean, I, 
there's so many old like classic Pokemon games that people love that were all about that connection with people, and uh, they they're unable to replicate that. Oh, I see. On the when you're talking about on the Game Boy, yeah, like what do you do when there is you know Pokemon Yellow yeah. emulated on the? You know what? The question is if they are going to release them. Yeah. You know, like or if they say you know what these games are fundamentally handheld games and therefore, but. I gotta okay. think if they put it on 3DS, then it's gotta support yeah. the, the link up through Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm thinking. Because here's the thing, right? I was gonna save this for yeah. the question block because there was actually a question regarding this yeah. for later, mm-hmm. but let's skip ahead. Why not? Uh, we're not. We're still not done with news, though. There's one more thing. Um, so someone wrote in. I'm just gonna read his question anyway. So Dylan sh- says, "Excuse me, what are your thoughts on Pokemon games coming to the eShop, including Pokemon trading card game in Europe? Uh, seems like an easy way for Nintendo to make money. Maybe the trading card game is the first step of sorts." Mm-hmm. So here's my problem. Yes, Pokemon Red, Blue, Yellow, uh, Sapphire, Ruby, name your color, your element, whatever. They exist. However, putting them out on Virtual Console the way Virtual Console (coughs) exists today, they are not standalone games. Mm -mm. You are not meant to catch all 150 Pokemon in Pokemon Red, so there has to be a solution in place for getting the Pokemon that are on Blue or that are getting Pokemon on the other version. And I just don't think Nintendo is willing to invest in them when they can just remake them or find another way to package them and pretty them up and put that out instead, which is why we're getting Omega, Ruby, and Alpha Sapphire. So you think they'll... Man, that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they're not standalone games. They're just not because they can to sell each remake for forty dollars. Yeah, because imagine if you could go back though. There's someone listening to this going, but wait a minute. Okay, fine. You went back and bought Red and Blue, mm-hmm. and you captured Pokemon. Can those Pokemon move to the next game? I don't know. There's no solution in place for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you would have to be able to move this stuff around. It would take a Pokemon bank of incredible technical <laughs> ability. At least it sounds incredible to me, which it probably isn't. Yeah. Um, and it's going to take a little bit more work. And the thing is, if they put in the time, do they get the money back? Some people say yes. I don't think they would. You Those know what? Yeah, it's, it's all doable, right? It's like the same question, like, why does Animal Crossing not include NES games? Yeah. It's because you can sell them differently, right? Yeah. So, no, I'm thinking about it. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Spent a lot of time that thinking said, about this. That you know, they've upgraded, they've upgraded games before, you know, and mm-hmm. changed certain things around um, for re-releases even in the digital format and virtual console. Like, I think it's going to happen. I think some games that rely on some sort of trade function will be updated to use Wi-Fi. They did actually update a lot of their NES games mm-hmm. on 3DS to use uh two-player support via Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, or maybe just local. I don't know if it yeah. was Wi-Fi, but it was local. I've heard from people it doesn't run very well. We never try it in the office. Maybe we should. Yeah. Just to kind of... 3D classics also. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, never say never. Like, you, someone can find a solution to anything, any yeah. problem you have with old software. Yeah. At least work. for a company, though, it's about how much money you're willing yeah. to spend and how expensive is this going to be for us. And yeah. ultimately, so far, there is no answer. So... Hang yeah. in there. So, th- I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but this is sort of my overarching theme and fear of uh, the preservation of games when it comes to stuff like this. Because it does worry me that the way we played certain games 15 years ago, um, there's no way to play those games like that again anymore. Yeah. And if Nintendo's sort of opening the doors to being like, we are preserving them in this museum here, but not going all the way through, then like, who will? Right. Yeah, that's the thing. And who's willing yeah. to spend the bucks? All right. Uh, last thing in Pokemon-related news: there are secret bases and Street Pass features were detailed for the Pokemon remakes that are coming out in November. Uh, so we found out uh, this is via press release. This information was released. There are secret bases, which are customizable spaces where players can set up mazes, traps, and even set battle rules for people who come visit. If you go, if you want to visit or share your secret base, you can do that via Street Pass, which is cool because Street Pass in a uh, 
Pokemon X and Y was Pokemiles, which was currency, but which was, it just didn't work for me. I didn't like it. Um, and then there was uh, QR code. You can share that as well, the layout of your secret base. Uh, cool thing about if someone visits your secret base, they can be your secret pal. I did that intentionally. <laughs> Players can interact, <laughs> battle, or receive support uh, during their adventure. This includes the ability, you know, there's just certain abilities, like you can hatch Pokemon eggs faster and weird things like that if, if breeding's your deal. Um, let's see. And there's also you can capture people's flags by visiting their bases. But anyway, they're sort of looking at the way Street Pass works with Pokemon. I'm glad because I didn't think Pokemiles was enough. If you disagree, let us know. Email nvc at IGN.com. Or if you agree, let us know too. And with that, my Pokemon pals, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to enter the question block. And Pear's reminded me very quickly that we actually missed something. So, Pear, what did we miss exactly? Uh, an MMO for 3DS. Called what? Dra- <laughs> well, Dragon Quest, which was already released on the Wii um, and the Wii U and the PC. and everything Dragon Quest before. 10. Dragon Quest 10 X mm-hmm. is, is coming to the 3DS. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird announcement. Of, of course, again, Japan only, right? We have not seen any of these versions in the West. They're subscription fee only games. You have to pay, just mm-hmm. like with World of Warcraft, <laughs> to play every month. Um, and that's kind of the future of the Dragon Quest franchise. It's interesting that they're going down that route. I figured like Square Enix would put all their eggs in the Final Fantasy online basket rather than, than having a second MMO like that. But, you know, the original, uh, the Wii version sold really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has what something like 400,000 active players. And if all of those guys are paying, then I know why they keep on making <laughs> sure, versions, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a version for cell phones yeah. in Japan as well. Yeah, and it's all based phones. off of weird like cloud-based technology. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of emulating the game, but it's not really running at the resolution it would if it was on like a regular console. So it's a you super can, strange thing. Yeah, you can play cross-platform. Yeah, so which it's, is it's a cool concept, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it just, I mean, I'm I'm sad because I want another Dragon Quest Same game, here. right? It's been since the Dragon Warrior days that we've seen something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you like 9? Dragon I, Quest 9? Yeah, it was good. It's an amazing yeah. game. Yeah, yeah really yeah. good. But Japan also. I, I didn't play it, but I had a, a, a friend at the time that was playing it constantly, and I would just go over to his house and hang out and watch him play. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's so, really cool. cool. But, yeah, 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 if your question is, will it come to the West? No chance. I just don't think they're going to take a chance. Yeah, I keep hoping for that, man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. So you heard about it. There is a Nintendo Direct happening in Japan, uh, all about third-party published games. Maybe this gets mentioned, but yeah. regardless... No news on if it's coming to the West. So really quickly, let's talk about the question block. Well, not really quickly, but you know the deal. Question block is a weekly segment that is on this podcast. Oh, bi-weekly segment, excuse me, that is on this podcast where we tackle one of your questions for four minutes and try to come up with our best answers and you know argue over things if we can. So first question actually leads into something very recently that at least Per and I have been doing. And maybe you have too, Brian, but revisiting the GameCube has been kind of a thing around yeah. the office for yeah. a little bit now. Yeah. So, uh, boom. I mean, I, I, I revisit the, the GameCube every time I close my eyes. Really? Oh, you don't hook it up to the TV? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing? I mean, it's just, it's just my question. Just like... No, well, I, actually, let me... Uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Me, <laughs> sorry, not to cut you off. 
Uh, so he, this leads into that we were playing Eternal Darkness recently. Yeah. And the question comes from Kevin, and he says, do you think Eternal Darkness could be uh, a, a successful HD remake as an untouched virtual console release? Or is there barely any audience for this type of game on current Nintendo platforms? Wait, so a re- untouched remake, basically just porting the GameCube game over one one for one, but not HD. I would imagine that's what. He, I, it's so it's weird. Wait, I think yeah. there's two parts to this question. Do you think Eternal Darkness could be as successful as an HD HD remake? Yes. Maybe he means or as an untouched virtual console release. I think both. Or is there barely any con- uh, audience for this? So if you had asked me like two days ago, I would have said, eh, you know, maybe uh, we played last night to like yeah. two a.m. or something. Yes, yes. And you were waiting for the bathroom was- scene. To happen. I was, sure. oh man, I got Jose really well. <laughs> oh, really? I hadn't played it. And, and like, I kept on waiting for the bathroom scene. If you haven't played it, then, you know, uh, you, you don't know spoilers. what it is. But it's uh, spoilers of an ancient game. But it's like, there's this scene that really scares you. Just like the dogs in Resident Evil. And man, I was just watching Jose. It was, it was wonderful when it happened. I just want to point out, yeah. I was really excited for that game growing up. And then I read all of IGN's coverage. And you guys spoiled everything. <laughs> Every, the bathroom scene you spoiled, all the sanity no, effects. Yeah, everything. Oh, my reaction you put up an article of all the li- a list of all the sanity effects. There's one in the game. Now, for people who've never played it, uh, your character, ha- it's, it's this psychological horror game. And your character goes through all of this emotional and physical trauma. And at some points, uh, when your health meter is really low. Sanity meter. Sanity, 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 sanity meter is really low. low. Things weird things start happening. Like you walk in a room and you don't have a body, or uh, your head's missing, or you walk in another room and it, it, the game goes, uh, "Please insert controller." And you're like, "Did I unplug the controller? What happened?" And you start flipping out. Basically, there your TV you. forget your yeah. turns off. The volume goes all the way down or up like that. It messes with you, and it's it's actually amazing that no game's really done this like this before. So I think just on the sheer or since, or or since. since. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just on the sheer like f- joy of, of those things. Yeah, I would love to see the game come back in some form now devil's advocate uh i actually wanted to play devil's advocate too this, it's 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 uh this this franchise has been it's fought to sort of make a return a few times now we even had dennis dyack on uh who created the, the game on up at noon who was launching his sort of kickstarter shadow of the eternal yeah mm-hmm. uh so I don't know where all the fans for this game went because they didn't really come out and support that Kickstarter-like. Well, well, there weren't that many to begin with, right? It, was, yeah. it, it wasn't a huge commercial success as a game. You know, wrong time, wrong platform, all of that, and mar- uh, virtually no marketing as well. Yeah. Um, so I understand that. But it's also, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, right, where Dennis will readily admit that he made a mistake, kind of like launching, uh, what was it, an Indiegogo or something, yeah, yeah, or like yeah. his own Kickstarter, then trying to Kickstarter, then doing that, and kind of like, uh, kind of stall some the questionable means were used, and then yeah. there were people who were saying, "Wait, it's an episodic game. I don't like episodic games, right?" Like there were all these kind of hurdles. Yeah. At which point you have like this core fan audience who said, "I really want to play it," but a lot of people like, "Will they be able to finish this game?" I mean, I think they would have. I th- what Dennis has shown us looked really cool. But man, playing that game yesterday again, no, it was really yeah, good. I, I want to say it, it holds so up good. really well. I will say interface, puzzle design doesn't hold up exceptionally well. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about a game that was made in 2002 or 2001, released in 2002. Oh, man. And ultimately, like, you know, the way you interface with certain objects, like, it's a little, it's a little jarring, a little weird. The games don't really work that way anymore. But uh, I do think 
they nailed atmosphere. They absolutely nailed ways to mess with you. Like my reactions to some of the things that were happening as we as I awesome. watched this, I was like, hey, yeah. "What just happened? <laughs> yeah. What were you doing?" We got really far into. So I let Jose play most of the time, but um, we got really far into the game before his uh, sanity meter ever ran out. Like the first thing I did when I was playing this game, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I want to run down the sanity meter." Like every time a monster looks at you, like the skeletons, their eyes will glow green. Yeah, and you, you will glow green, and your sanity goes down. And once it gets to a low point, that's when the camera slightly turns like yeah, akimbo yeah. and all these things happen and like mm. so I was watching Jose like the moment the meter was going down like he walks into a room and instead of his character there's like a zombie standing in his place and Jose is like what the with like yeah, he's like confused. <laughs> my favorite is when he's uh, like, is this a glitch? No, yeah, when, no I, like, when I went through the floor, I ran, uh, was running down this flight of stairs and, or this short, uh, like five or six steps or whatever, and about to hit the, the floor where I should be. And she just kept going right through, yeah. <laughs> and no, but what freaked me out is that his GameCube is really old and it was like stuttering during cutscenes. I was like, yo, it's broken. <laughs> what happened? Oh, I just lost all that progress. And then the game was fine a second afterwards. I was like, yo, what is this game? Like, yeah. this is so strange. Anyway, it does make me sad that no developer, at least to my immediate knowledge, did not revisit some of these tricks and ways to mess with you. Metal Gear has experimented with, with a little bit of it, but not yeah. in as m- not as much. Yeah. Like it's it's practically its own mechanic of the game, right? Your state it, of mind. It had another really cool thing, which I don't think gets like it doesn't really get visited enough mm. as a theme in games. And in hindsight, this might have been because they were lazy and they only they only built five environments in the mm. entire game. But it does this cool thing where you visit an environment in the present and then uh, an hour or two later you're playing with a different character and you visit that same exact environment but like hundreds of years oh, before short stories yeah it's sort of yeah. like a short story format and I, do, I like that, that yeah. was, it was very clever to sort of be like here's this temple and you're in it and here is it you know hundreds of years later as a firefighter which didn't really make a ton of it, sense it wasn't it wasn't laziness like that was by design for yeah. the story sure you know, they but it also helped some stuff out yeah, yeah it helped stream. that they only had to make yeah. four environments and then make, make them look old here's, right. here's what's cool like you, you play as like I think it's Cam- Cambodia uh, lady right yeah, like you go right. into a temple and you learn about this puzzle where you're supposed to you know depending on the where the sun is whether it's rising or it, you know in the zenith or, or going down like you adjust the light of the rooms by yeah. blowing out candles so you play through this level and that's the first time that puzzle pops up then you go back to modern times and like the entire time there were like those three candles in the room and yeah. you had no idea what it was yeah. and then you're like oh okay and yeah. then you can now interact with it it's a little cheesy it doesn't let you interact uh, from the get go with it mm-hmm. but I love that where like the main character is reading about these old stories which you play and then learns about how to solve a puzzle in the in the current time. It's just really cool. So let's save it for the Eternal Darkness podcast. We're going to end there. Uh, I think it could hold a chance. I do think it needs a little bit of an update. Maybe not just straight virtual console port. Just mm-hmm. saying it just for interface reasons or whatnot. I mean, bring on all the GameCube games, really. Uh, or at least a lot of a, them. A lot of them. I don't know about all of them. Because right, right now we have none, Jose. Our next question has mm-hmm. nothing to do with GameCube. Great. <laughs> Our next question is from James Skinner. And he says, having played played Shovel (laughs) Shovel Knight and loved it, but being too young to have owned an NES, what would you recommend as the best place to experience classic games from this era and what games should you start with? So I think we should just start with what games should you start with. Um, And by classic era, I'm assuming he means the 8-bit, 16-bit era, which a lot of those things right now at least are on Wii or Nintendo platforms. Well, you're writing into a Nintendo podcast, which means you have either a 3DS 
a Wii or a Wii U. There is a I very assume. healthy catalog of PlayStation 1 games on PSN. Yeah. I want to point that out. Uh, however, if you want that charm of the 8-bit 16-bit era, you may not find a lot of that there. It's, yeah. it's a little bit more like the early 3D stuff, and it looks really good, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so on, 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 the, on the 3DS and Wii U Virtual Console right now, you can play Mega Man 2 and 3. Castlevania. Castlevania. Super Castlevania. Super Castlevania. You can play Super Mario 3. You can play Legend of Zelda 2. Mystical Ninja. Um, And all of these games, and DuckTales Remastered, I'd say, Mm -hmm. would be the extra one. Mm. If you want to get that pogo stick on. Mm, All of these games directly influence Shovel Knight in some way. Well, (laughs) if you can hunt down the original DuckTales for NES, then please do that. I I wasn't wild about the remaster either. Let's just keep the virtual console then, right? Because that's more of an HD update. There are some story and changes made there. Maybe like more of the original games. I do agree with all of the recommendations you guys put out so far. The Super Metroid yeah. franchise. Super, Super Metroid, easily, you should play that. Um, you should also play Metroid Fusion on Game Boy Advance Virtual uh-huh. Console because that's a pretty good one. But that's Zero Mission cheating. is probably that's right around the. Yeah. Right, but, oh, yeah, that's true. That's, oh, that's I guess cheating. I that's not classic era. Okay, that's, that's not classic. But, sorry. It feels like it. But Super Metroid is a must play, no yes. matter what, like, what age you are, as is linked to the past. Yep. You know? Uh, as is Super Mario World, Super Mario, <coughs> Mario Bros. 3, then you might as well play all the Super Mario Bros. games. Yeah. yeah. There's there's just a lot, and honestly, you can't go wrong. If it says published by Nintendo, you can't go wrong. No. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. But I mean, if, you, if, if you're fresh off a of Shovel Knight, then, you know, the overworlds from Mario 3, the towns from Zelda 2, mm-hmm. the, the downward thrust is, is from Zelda 2 or DuckTales. Yeah. The, uh, the, boss, the boss fights are from Mega Man 2 and 3. Like, mm-hmm. I would know. almost say, though, with some of these games we're recommending, go in with a little patience, though. So let's say, for example, if I recommended Castlevania 2, Castlevania 2 is impossible to oh, decipher. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would recommend that game. Because, yeah, it would, just, it would be a tough recommendation <laughs> because of that. But Castlevania 3, perfect recommendation. And yeah. it's on but, Virtual Console. Um, so you do want to Zelda 2 is a very divisive one too, hard as hell I love it it is difficult I love it too I think there are no Zelda 2 haters on this podcast I don't think Paris no I like it <laughs> okay there yeah, we go interesting um, so just, just putting that out there for folks but that's another one that it's a little hard to recommend because it's a product of its time and there's just certain elements that that game does not communicate very well to you whereas Shovel Knight I feel like most of it is clearly communicated, right? It mm-hmm. kind of overcomes those hurdles that some of the older games did had or those yeah, gaps of information. For sure. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I, I love the, the classic Final Fantasy games, but I think, you know, I, I would start with action-based games because the 2D kind of side-scrolling shooters and jump and runs were so pure and so well-designed, right? Like, whether it says Castlevania or Mario or, or, you know, Contra on the package, like, you can just try any of them and mm-hmm. you're going to have a good time. Cool. All right. So hopefully that's enough games to recommend you. Uh, sorry, we couldn't come up with more. I should have prepped you guys with a list. I apologize for that. No, All we right. did great. We gave them like 40 games. Yeah, that's true. It's that's true. like my whole childhood. All right. Oh, sorry there wasn't more than what shaped the, the brains of this enough, podcast. And, and, never enough games. And play the Dark Horse. Play uh, Mystical Ninja. Sure. Yeah. The super yeah nice, you're super you're nice a big game. fan of the Goemon don't, games. Don't play Deadly Towers because that game sucks. No. Yeah, yeah, stay away that. from Solomon's Key. It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. I've never got past the, like the fifth level in that Don't game. Don't play Ice Climbers because I'll never play Ice Climbers. Yeah, that game's the worst. Haters, man. <laughs> Jose, I want to see you play that game. <laughs> I'm like Ice Climber Jesus. Really? <laughs> you don't know? No, I am actually not. I haven't passed the third stage. It's I don't pronounce yeah. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So next Ice Climber Jose <laughs> comes from wow haters. Uh, welcome. My name is Ian, and I'll welcome. try to be as uh, keep this as brief as possible. In the past, we've had Super Game Boy and the Game Boy Player. 
what do you think of the odds of getting a DS, 3DS equivalent at some point on Wii U? Now, this question's kind of been asked before, but I don't think we've answered it here. Hardware? So we'll see. <laughs> I'm getting to that. Yeah. Uh, I had the Game Boy Player growing up and loved playing Game Boy Advance and Game Boy Color games on it. Seeing as they kind of made a huge DS with the Wii U, right? Two screens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that it can be done if they wanted it and saw a market for it. Personally, I would love something like this, but don't really see it happening. Newsflash, Ian, uh, actually they have, the at least in Japan so far, they've released the brain training game, the very first one for DS, uh, as a free download. So, mm-hmm. uh, And they've talked about potentially putting DS games on Wii U. So I just want to clear that up for you. Anyway, he wants to know if we think uh, Nintendo would do this. Is this something you want? I think it's something that I kind of want, but I, I kind of worry if it will be done right. Because uh, it does depend on the game. What do I mean by that? Take something like The World Ends With You, which is sort of the intense example of using two screens, where two very different things are happening at the same time, where on your gamepad, or at least on the bottom screen on the DS, you were sort of drawing and slashing and trying to hit monsters, but on the top screen, you're using the D-pad to fight those monsters as well. You're multitasking. Sure. That game is a little bit difficult to play mm. under those circumstances because the screens are so separate. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're not they're not right next to each other yeah. anymore. They're completely separated and, by like ten feet of your living room. And your eyes have lenses in them, which means you either your gamepad is gonna be sharp or your TV is gonna be yeah. sharp. Or you gotta just hold them up to <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. get in really close. Yeah, or you have a tiny with, TV. Like Metroid Prime Pinball. Any game I was that just thinking two that. screens right yeah. there. Something goes from screen one to the next one. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be so weird. Well because on the on a on a DS it's half an inch, but in your yeah. living room that's like fifteen feet sometimes. Yep, yep. So uh but you could I, you could stack both screens on one, right? Yeah, like, I guess you could. And they, they've experimented with it a little bit, but it just looks weird when you turn the Wii U gamepad yeah. sideways. It's it's not flat on the back. Uh, there was There's nobody at, at IGN that was a bigger fan of the Super Game Boy and the Game Boy Player than me. Like, honestly, I bought those things the day they came out. I spent hundreds of hours making, like, custom borders and stuff like that on the Game Boy hmm. Player. Uh, I really, really, really loved the ability to play my handheld games that I loved so much on a big screen TV for the first time ever. That being said... All of those games were sort of designed around the same thing, which was a small individual screen that could be blown up to any size. Uh, The DS, there's really no style guide, right? Like there's so many different games that treated those screens separately. Like you talk about Metro Prime Pinball, stuff like Yoshi's Touch and Go. There's first-person shooters where, you know, your stylus is on the bottom and the screen's on top. There's games like Castlevania where the map's on the bottom. Like there's so many different uses. There's there's games where you have to turn the DS sideways and read Mm -hmm. it like a book. So there's a lot to work with here. Uh, Nothing would really work one-to-one. I remember I had the game Game Boy Player connected to my GameCube, and I had a game called WarioWare Twisted. Mm-hmm. And I said, now, how would that work? <laughs> and what I did GameCube. was I picked up my GameCube, and I tilted it, you and I shook not. it. And did you really? <laughs> yes! <laughs> and the disc, the disc started going, grrr, grrr, and you, I was like, I'm going to put in this. Do you have videos of this? <laughs> no, 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 no. Back then, nothing, like, we didn't film nothing everything. Nothing captured so. video back then yeah. really well. I want an animated um, GIF of you doing that. We could try. <laughs> Somebody, make it, make it happen. We could try doing that. Um, yeah, I, I also <laughs> think the other thing we're not talking about uh, with this, or maybe I missed it because I checked out for half a second during this thing, uh, was the... Um, the concept of the resolution these games were designed for, yeah. and that a 1080p or 720p, these games just don't look very good. Like, on, on flat screen plasmas, 
we played Brain Training, mm-hmm. the Japanese version, just briefly one morning. I was like, hey, check this out. You came over. You were reading the colors in Japanese. Some of the text was really weird to read because it just yeah. wasn't really optimized for a big screen. Yeah. Um, well, this, this was the other problem was that yeah. the, on, the, on the GBA and on the Game Boy, these, these were pixel-based games, yeah. right? They were sprite-based games, so they blew up. But the DS had a lot of really weird, really jaggy experimental 3D stuff. Mm-hmm. Not going to look good on your you know 52-inch Samsung. However, do you remember that NeoGAF thread that you and I were sharing images from yes. back and forth yes. where someone through emulation basically up a bunch of DS games. So uh-huh. we're talking about like Metroid Prime Hunters. We're yeah. talking about Dragon Quest Nine. Uh, even maybe the world ends with you. But they were just checking, hey, spirit how did this scale? Stuff. Yeah, spirit yeah. tracks. Some of them scaled really well, and some of them didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of a coin toss, and maybe there's some back-end work that has to get it's, done. It's possible. It could look decent. See, for me, every everything Nintendo does, especially what Nintendo does, has to pass the litmus test. Can you give it to a mom and have her make sense of it? Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like they don't, they don't want to spend their time having customer service reps answering like how do i turn this on right like and i feel like this is this would be that kind of nightmare is like my son has you know this game and now his eye hurts right yeah. like i think they're going to emulate these on a case by case basis and re-release them in in the virtual console like they're not going to have like a solution that fits well yeah they have announced the ds games are yeah. coming to wii u in they some w- capacity uh, i don't really understand why they're not on the 3ds because that seems like the more logical decision to just put up a, a mm-hmm. shop you know and i really like it's on virtual console it's the last it's the last handheld yeah yeah <laughs> i really like the way the wii handled the virtual console in the way it was broken down by consoles yep. you could go on there and be like i want to buy an atari game or i want to buy a genesis game and it broke everything down so seeing something like that would be cool but yeah i agree with you it's going to be case by case uh you're going to anger a lot of people <laughs> if, yeah. <laughs> you're going to anger a lot of people if you just put up a game on the shop and somebody buys it and like brain training that sounds cool and it's a really blurry game you have to play your game gamepad sideways with yeah alright done welcome alright so our last question <laughs> comes from welcome. Caleb uh, and Caleb says long time listener huge fan of the show thank you Caleb uh, my question revolves around the Metroid series but I think this could easily fit all of Nintendo's franchises however we're going to answer the Metroid one he said for somebody just jumping into the Metroid series where do you recommend they start Super Metroid final answer uh, yeah I have yeah. a different answer. Really? A little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I love Super Metroid. It's my favorite. Uh, hands down, one of the best. So by start, do you mean finish the game from start no, to finish? The, or the just sort of... The first game they, they play, they play for in, in a Metroid franchise. series. Can they yeah. play it for a half an hour and stop? No. Come on. What kind what of fun? What semantics are you pulling if right now? If they're on an island, they have one shoe. <laughs> and they, no. My, my answer is Zero Mission. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saying, yeah. Zero Mission is a, is a better place to start because uh, Super Metroid, as a it, first of all, it is... Without question, one of the most uh, excellent games ever made. It is it is absolutely amazing, it's, timeless. It's, it's really all well right. You, I'm s- kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. This one of the ki- pen. All right. Um, <laughs> it's one of the rile you up. Yeah. No. Uh, Zero Mission is really good. It yeah. restructures and reorganizes the very first Metroid, which is very hard to go back to in some instances because of the information and, and the gaps in that game. Right. I mean, that game is very exploratory, but there isn't a map to really help you figure out where you're going. Yeah. Whereas Zero <laughs> Mission holds your hand a little bit and helps you understand the guiding principles of how a Metroid should work. I worry Super Metroid might be just a little too daunting, even though there is a little bit of that in that game as well. See, I feel. Z- Super Metroid is like a very confined 
um, experience. Like it's all about her in the suit and like getting more and more powers to the point where you're like, this is freaking awesome. Whereas mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't have to worry about being in the zero suit and all these things that I think would be more impactful if you've played like the classic kind of like, here's her you know, her kind of very straightforward story. I love Zero Mission. I think it's mm. awesome. I think if you were going to play any of these, like Super Metroid, Zero Mission, or Metroid Prime, any of those three are Fusion great. Fusion's, great. Fusion's great. Good. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Fusion's I, great. But that one, that one is, like, I appreciate that game because it changes the experience, right? Uh, like, would I want that to be my first one? No. Okay. Like, I wouldn't want Fusion I would, to be I want Zero Mission one. to be the first if one. If Fusion was your first one, you would probably just assume that all the games are kind of narrated yeah. and guided. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love uh, Zero Mission, but uh, Nintendo doesn't. Because <laughs> there's been no way to play it. Okay, so... For a very, no, because Fusion is on the Wii U virtual console now, right? And okay. it looks great. And uh, Fusion's also on the 3DS for the, uh, you know, Ambassador Program people, mm. which is me. All Where time. is Zero Mission? Like, why so can't I play that? Zero Mission is actually, it was released, I want to say, two or three weeks ago on the Wii U Game Boy Advance virtual console. Yes! I bought it. Really? I yeah, I've been playing it in Japanese because you don't need. Wait, a lot hold of on. That's that's really excellent it. news. Yeah, so there is a great chance that is coming to the West. Uh, so, All right. Caleb, if you have a Wii U and you're considering starting, I, I think Pear's suggestion is excellent. By the way, Super Metroid is one of the all-time classics. Um, so good. However, if you want a little bit more handholdy, but not a lot. I would say Zero Mission. I feel like Zero Mission kind of encapsulated better. It's true you're going to miss out on some of the references, but ultimately it is still the starting point for that series I, in a lot of ways. Funny I how no one like, those things well. I feel like if he's writing into this podcast, which is which means you're you're listening to Don't poop out my an dreams, audio Craig. podcast from Nintendo fans for Nintendo fans, you're not a beginning player. I think you can handle Super Metroid. It's not that hard either. Yeah, I'm not saying it yeah. is. I'm Metroid just saying, Prime gets really hard. Yeah, right zero, I, I'm saying Zero Mission Metroid is a really elegant Metroid. Mm -hmm. It's and just not quite as elegant fine. as Super Metroid. Metroid 2 is the one you want to stay away from from as long as hey. possible. No, it's, come on. It's hard to get around. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's up there with the first game in terms of uh, navigation. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, you no, that. Mm -hmm. no. It's, it, in terms of navigation and figuring out where you're going. However, it, it sort of suffers from the same flaws. The only extra flaw is that it's in black and white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Needs a map. Mm -hmm. And it's all green. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Well, that's our show, guys. Yeah, that's cool. All right, great. We made it. Another episode in the books. Uh, so, listener, hello. If you're going to PAX, just want to let you know that we will be there, um, or at least in some form. IGN will be there. I will be there. Marty will be there. Greg will be there. Damon will be there. And we have a few more folks. Uh, this is happening August 29th to September 1st. We have submitted a Nintendo Voice Chat live panel that we're hoping uh, you can attend. Hoping gets approved and then hoping that you can attend. So the, 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 it's pending approval by... Um, Penny Arcade has to approve Penny it, Arcade, and we yeah. can totally get rejected, and I will see, right? Like, who knows? Historically, they, they kind of don't really let everyone know until the last minute. You know, they're busy, and they get hit with a bunch of panel yep. requests. So, mm -hmm. well, so see what not, happens. you're still there, and yeah, we're people still can around. find we'll, you. We'll and... probably have an IGN drink-up, meet-up, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You know? So if you're I'm... planning to go to PAX Prime, this is PAX Seattle. I should specify, because some people think it's PAX South, which is yeah. not. Um, yeah, we're thinking about it. What were you This is the say? one in Seattle. Uh, I'm, I'm planning to go on my own, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I've never been to a PAX before, and I've been at IGN for five years, so I'll, I'm just going to fix that myself. You're not working? You're just going to hang out? No. Huh? No. I mean, I'll probably do a little bit of work. But. If you bring Brian a Pokemon, he will give you 
a name for that Pokemon. <laughs> All right, bring tribute. That Let us won't know. be a real name because <laughs> I won't know what that Pokemon is. No, uh, we should we should quiz Brian. Who's that Pokemon? Who's that Pokemon? <laughs> I don't know. Bubbledar. Bubbledar. It just leaves. We should right. totally do that. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Nintendo Voice Chat. Uh, as you heard at the beginning of the show, this is our 222nd episode, and we have not been around for all of them except probably Pear. Uh, but this is a weekly podcast you can download on iTunes, on IGN, on your favorite podcast download service. And uh, hey, you know what else we have at IGN? We have articles. We have videos. We have a bunch of other stuff that you should come and check out because yeah. it is of your interest. Uh, and it also pays the bills. That said, uh, also, please feel free to review Nintendo Voice Chat on iTunes. Some people have asked if you can't, if you don't review on iTunes, how can you review Nintendo Voice Chat? Just send us an email. Yeah. Send us an email to nvc at IGN.com. Or, or tweet at us. A lot of people are doing that, <coughs> letting us know. Yeah, but a, they, a, I, I feel like a review needs a little more than 140 oh, characters. Oh, a review. No, yeah, but yeah. if you want to let us know us. if an episode sucked or an episode was good, just, you know, you can do it in one yeah. sentence. You totally can. Yeah. Uh, 140 characters is your limit, but if you're comfortable there. And don't send multiple tweets. That's so weird. I don't know. People send, like, the whole paragraph they had in mind, but in sectional That's tweets. fine. Just I say, Jose, Pear, Brian, you guys stink. Yeah. Seven out of ten. Seven out All of right, ten. There you go. That's the IGN score. All right. So, uh, that said, thank you for listening. Really quickly, Twitter handles. You can find Pear Snyder at Pear IGN. You can find Brian Altano at Agent Bizzle. And you can find myself, Jose underscore Otero, on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we 
are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.